VoiceAmerica.com. Mr. Rob Greenlee. Hello. Thank you so much, Lori. It's great to be here. I appreciate you coming by and, and listening to us uh, at the NEB show. It's uh, It's been a terrific uh, conference and event, and we're really happy to be here. Well, we're here to talk about podcasting and what's been happening in the podcasting space. To kind of share a little bit, uh, a deeper dive into the opportunity of podcasting and and the power of a host, actually, in a podcast. And so I wanted to just let you know who's on the panel here a little bit, and um, and I'll I'll just ask them to talk about their companies and what they're doing, and that'll kind of set the stage for um, us diving into a deeper conversation about podcaster influencers, and that's usually the, the host of the show. So Todd Cochran, go ahead and... Hi everybody, my name is Todd Cochran. I'm the CEO of Raw Voice. Uh, most of us, most folks know us by our subsidiary, Blueberry. We're a podcast hosting and service company. We provide uh, podcast statistics to companies like ESPN, ABC, Moody Radio, plus about 45,000 other podcasters. We also do advertising as well. We've been in the space since 2005. I'm Rob Walsh, uh, VP of Libsyn, also known as LibSync, and Libsbin, and as always <laughs> mispronounced, uh, stands for Liberated Syndication. Uh, we do podcast hosting, we do smartphone apps for podcasts, we help with advertising, and then uh, premium monetization, those are our four pillars. Uh, we've been uh, hosting podcasts since 2004. Uh, my name is Ryan Treasure. I'm the Vice President of Operations for VoiceAmerica.com. Uh, we've been creating content online since 1999, uh, streaming live to on-demand, and then ultimately creating podcasts uh, of all of our content. Uh, we have 300 radio show hosts who do live radio to uh, to uh, podcast, uh, and we 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 you name it in the space of podcasts. We help cultivate uh, new talent, uh, emerging uh, identities for folks and brands uh, as well as uh, work with other uh, techni uh, technical providers to create applications and uh, all of those other things around the delivery of content. So if you're new to podcasting, let me just kind of let you know just a little bit of the background of what podcasting is and how long it's been around. And actually, podcasting is really just an on-demand audio file that's available through an RSS feed that can be downloaded into like an iTunes um, type of environment that you can play on your mobile phone. The podcasting space has been around since about 2004, and it's been slowly growing. Uh, there's been a lot of ups and downs in the perception and understanding what a podcast is, but it's certainly been been steadily growing and we're kind of reaching an inflection point here over the last two years where things seem to be picking up a little bit um, there's a lot better content out there people you know everybody has a smartphone now so the opportunity to get access to this content whether or not you have an Android phone or an iOS device is uh, right there in your hand at all times so you can you can listen to up to 350,000 different podcasts that are out there and and there's hundreds of thousands of hosts out there that are building their fan bases and building their communities and becoming an influencer. And there's big, um, there's a potential impact of that um, if you want to build an advertising business. And that's kind of what we're here to talk about today is, is um, what is the power of that host? And how can that host really build his community or her community to uh, drive revenue um, by doing this show. And so so I wanted to start off and just jump in and talk about, um, really about the medium. 
and where ROI comes from in podcasting. So as you're running an advertising campaign on a piece of content or on your show, um, what does it take from a talent perspective to actually bring ROI and a return to the advertisers and bring in revenue for a podcast? I don't know. I mean, who does want to jump in on that? Just to give you a little background in addition to what Rob introductions I also I, I started my own podcast is how I got into this space and really the genesis of my company was based upon an interaction with a vendor that started advertising with my show in 2005 and that was GoDaddy I brought them into the advertising space now fast forward here 12 years and they're still advertising with me today and there's very few programs even in the radio business that have 12 years steady of a single advertiser in a show so how is that sustainable Um, they invested in me so many of the advertisers that are advertising podcasts today they invest in a genre they invest in a in a host and um, and that business that you develop for them happens over time and so a lot of the my audience was a tech audience so it was obviously an easy fit to sell that particular product and service so my goal anytime that we have an advertiser approach us and say this is our product this is what we're doing this is who we're trying to reach our goal is to match that advertiser with the specific host that doesn't always guarantee complete success but what it helps is it helps prime the pump a little bit and with a little coaching with the uh, podcaster helping them come up with a good uh, sales line and a, and a call to action uh, generally with a campaign that's run long enough because podcasts are not like radio where you've got five spots an hour you've got one spot maybe once a week do a campaign over a period of time the ROI can be simply incredible we've seen uh, beat national averages on uh, advertising deals that can be as much as nine times what they see in traditional media but it also demands a much higher premium on CPM so if you're going to be doing a campaign with a, a host you're investing with the host as much as you're investing with the show and it takes time to build that volume but it's it's possible I, I guess I went way around the circle here Rob but no it's that's perfect yeah I mean, because really the power of a podcast is the power of you as the host to connect with that audience at a real deep level um, where they trust you and they'll take your advice on an advertising recommendation Rob what's your what? kind of example or yeah or experience with you this? know podcasting is a much more personal medium than most other mediums out there most people are listening with earpods that you know have earpods in where do you hear the person when you have earpods in literally in the middle of your head that's kind of intimate uh, and top of that people can pause and play at their desire so they're controlling when it plays and when it plays back it's not like radio when you get in the car and you hit pl- you turn on the radio and it's someone talking to you and when you turn it off and you get out and you come back that person didn't wait for you the podcast waits so there's a little bit more intimate um, feel and if the host has that right relationship with with their audience they can sell very well uh, right now I am advertising three of um, my advertisers Warby Parker Harry's Razors and Bombfell for my jeans so you know this is you know this is genuine I'm here wearing it, my stuff for the advertisers I do a podcast I've been doing it for a long time it's called Today in iOS and those are advertisers on my show uh, and when I get out in public you won't see a picture of me in the last four years without my Warby Parker glasses on because they're the only ones I wear when I go out in public period 
So not every podcast can make that kind of connection, it seems like. I mean, I've, I've worked with a lot of different shows over the years, and um, just because you're getting in front of a microphone doesn't mean that you're going to connect with your audience. And I guess what I wanted to pose to Ryan as well, and you can jump in here too, what does it take on the part of talent to be able to connect with an audience? to be able to make that connection? Uh, you know, for us, we we teach and train all of our hosts um, that do uh, content creation in the podcast space to really make sure that they have uh, a consistency with their content creation and message. Uh, because when you do start to build that audience, there starts to be an expectation over time that new content will be available on a weekly, monthly, or whatever that uh, timeline is. So being consistent with uh, that content so you're always there for the audience to create that new content is, is something that we found that's uh, extremely important. Uh, but then, of course, <clears throat> and like you said, it does. It takes a long time uh, to complete some of the campaigns uh, because it it depends based on whether the show is doing something weekly, daily, monthly uh, to be able to connect with that audience. And so that's what we're finding as well is uh, just being consistent is the most important piece for us. And Todd, I mean, at the beginning of your podcast, you kind of fly a little contrary to conventional wisdom. You get personal with your audience right at the beginning of your program. And as you look back over the 12 years you've been doing this show, how much of an impact has that personal connection at the beginning of your show had, do you think? Well, you know, I'm from Hawaii, and don't throw any stones at me here because someone has to live there. Uh, we have a saying in Hawaii that's uh, ohana, and that means family. And uh, so when I'm doing my podcast, uh, I imagine that I'm at the kitchen table and that family member of mine is across from me and we're having an intimate conversation. So I bring them into my lives. I bring them into my family, to what's going on. Not all podcasters do that. But what I've been able to do and being absolute truthful to them and every opinion that I have. Now, it, okay, my opinion is my basis of truth, but they have um, learned to trust me over the years. So when I... When I promote a specific vendor, uh, they trust that I'm telling them to go use a good product. Now, I've had vendors I've turned away uh, because I knew it wasn't going to be a good fit or I couldn't actually really get behind that product. I had uh, reservations. If I had done a campaign with a vendor where I had reservations, they could they would have just smelt that through the, the, the content coming through. They could tell that I would probably be held back a little bit because over 1,200 episodes, they've all become to know exactly how I operate. And, and, and so that's really part of that, building that intimacy with the audience. I had a vendor come to us a couple of years ago and they, had, um, they wanted a specific host. And I knew the track record of this host, and uh, I was politely saying, no, you should not advertise in this podcast. This is not going to uh, end in good results. They insisted, and I actually made them sign off on a disclaimer form that I didn't think the performance would match what they were expecting before we did the campaign. And as I predicted, the campaign didn't do so well. So as you're going to do a, an ad deal with any of us or anybody in the podcasting space, don't force a show into your campaign that you want because you like the show. Allow us to say this is going to be a good match. Um, 
because I don't want you to waste your money. We want you to come back and spend quarter after quarter. And this particular client spent $20,000 on a 30-day campaign, and they might as well have burned the money on a table. That's how much results they got. So listen to us if we're telling this is not a good idea. Too often you just want the celebrity the higher performing podcast actually sometimes that small show will outperform the celebrity yeah that's a good uh, lead into the next uh, thing i want to talk about is the is the concept of brand advertiser versus direct response advertisers and how that th- that big show or small show metric factors into success for a campaign because i mean as todd was saying i mean you can get into like niche programming um and also on the, you know, some podcasters, and especially if they come from radio, they think that they can just run a regular radio ad in their 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 show as a podcast. And unfortunately, that's typically doesn't work very well. Um, so, so as we kind of define what the typical advertising models look like for podcasts, there's there's a brand advertiser, and then there's direct response ads. So let's let's talk about those and what those differences are. And um, I mean, obviously. Obviously, the host reads um, are the most popular right now, but let's let's talk about those differences and how brand advertisers can play a role here. Uh, Rob, why don't you jump in? You know, brand advertisers, the one thing that it's, it's tough for them is to measure the ROI. Right? They're just looking to build the brand. How do you measure that that brand has been? The DR people have it easy. They have a custom URL. You know, go to warbybarker.com slash TII. Yeah, very simple. They can track all that. They can see how many people went there, and then they can see what the conversions are when they go there. Uh, with branding, it's like, hey, drink Coke. Okay, how do we measure that? Did that podcast cause that? It, it's, a, it's a tougher, self, it's a tougher ex- explanation. So what you have to do in some cases with the brand folks is show the results that they've got, the DR, DR people have gotten. Show that relationship. Show them the ad reads. The, the, can, can I borrow the piece of paper? You show them that this isn't what you're going to hear in the background when the person's reading the ad. You know, that's because some ad reads are really bad. You can literally hear the person crinkling the paper as they're reading the verbatim ad. You know, you, you don't want that. But a lot of the podcast hosts, we will go through. I have what's called a one strike rule. You screw me over in an ad read, you're gone. One strike, gone. I don't want you to ever jeopardize another campaign. Um, so what we try to do when we talk with the brand folks is say, hey, here's the connection. We can show you how this has worked in the past. We can show you here's examples of the, the listener feedback that's in the shows and that there is a connection between the hosts. But it is a tougher sell, absolutely, especially yeah. to the bigger agencies. Yeah. So, uh, Ryan, um, how important is frequency? I mean, what's your thought? I mean, I mean, I, I keep hearing conflicting things. I've heard things in the past that said, you know, you have to have a, a, a potential customer needs to hear a message at least seven times. But I heard recent information coming out saying because our world is so noisy um, that it's taking 18 messages to get through to people now. Would you agree with that? I would very much agree. Um, you know, because Voice America is kind of a hybrid model between you know live internet radio and podcasting, um, we have a lot of data on you know how many times we have to mention something to someone to get them to take action to go do something. Um, and so it does. It takes on average. I, 
right now we're more at like 21 and 22 mentions to get you know activity to happen in that space um, when you talk about the other piece with the brands and the advertising we've taken a little bit different approach to um, how we leverage the advertiser for a brand and get them uh, to podcast instead of uh, you know having them be a mention on a podcast we help them to create one about themselves and their brand um, rather than them advertising on somebody else's uh, that allows them to uh, build their brand around the content that is most centric for what they're trying to accomplish with their goal uh, and so that's really uh, kind of a little different take on you know I think what maybe some of the other podcasters are doing um, but we found much success uh, especially with companies like SAP um, who, who do multiple shows with us and leverage podcasting as content marketing for several of their uh, ventures. You know, one thing that we look at when an advertiser comes to us and they're worried about this frequency is, as I'm going through the inventory, we first of all start with shows that are doing at least a minimum of one episode a week because we have historical evidence that shows that, and this is kind of something that we, we battle every time we're doing a new, have a new client, as I tell them, the first two weeks of a campaign, I don't care what your numbers are, don't call me. <laughs> because you're internally going to be freaking out if you've done radio and you're not seeing results for two weeks. And podcasting, there's this kind of curve. It kind of flat for the first couple of weeks. In week two, three, it comes on. But the, the difference in radio and podcasting is, is when you get to the end of that quarter, you get two or three more weeks on the other end. So it rolls past the quarter and you get results. So we've always, on direct response, um, seen that that ramp up is kind of like that. So it doesn't necessarily translate to the, the brand stuff, but the, once you get a, an advertiser through a DR campaign and they've seen that, then you, you never have to answer that again. And as long as you've delivered, you know, they're, they're going to come back and spend more money. But uh, um, So that's kind of the curveball. Whereas radio, you've done three or four or five spots an hour every, you know, so you're expecting some some hits on that pretty quickly. But it's it's not that way. In this yeah, and content. sometimes that doesn't work either. Sometimes it even takes even longer, even because um, you're know, talking about Internet radio versus terrestrial radio. It takes even more touches. <laughs> but you're limited to a 60-second spot or a 45-second spot. You know, my spots are no less than like three minutes. So, but we're telling a story. We're talking about a use case or something like that. So we have more freedom to spend a little more time on the ad and over time build a story about a product line to be able to get that that listener to go, wow, this is the use case. Yeah, we try to convince advertisers, don't give a script, give talking points. Yeah. Let the producer write the copy. Let them connect with their audience in their tone, in their language that their audience understands. Let them communicate that message. Uh, the worst is when, when they're convinced it has to be this copy. It has to be this exact script. And, and I almost don't even want to take those campaigns because it's not going to end well. And, and to Todd's point, one of the things, too, on that rollover date, we don't invoice until the end of the following month. So if a campaign drops in, in April, we won't invoice them until the first week of June. We measure to the end of the following month because once you invoice is when they start looking at how did it perform? So if you go an extra month, then then they look at how it performed. They go, oh, it's actually performed okay. Yeah, because it does take time to get get the results coming in. People are listening to this content in, in different time frames. Um, but also, you know, as you kind of think about advertising in this this world of podcasting, it's it, it's it's quite different. And 
than what people I think automatically think about as they think of you know this is a brand new medium we're we're doing something different um, it's still very similar to radio and there's a lot of crossover with with radio but I think the tendency is to run regular radio spots and I think that's that's one thing that's a challenge for the media buying side to make that transition guys where do you think we are with that transition with the buyers around buying this content well in the, in the early days I was getting digital buyers that's only people that bought podcasting and now all I'm getting is radio buyers and agencies that represent radio so it's been a little easier a little easier of a sell and um, so it's still a challenge. We still have to tell a story every time to a new a new advertiser. And sometimes you have to re-educate. Yeah. The, the media buyers turn over really quick. I mean, they're usually the young, 22 to 24, 25, right out of J school, and they're turning over. And so, you know, you go in one month and you go back six months later, it's a new media, a whole group of media buyers. You're like, where'd everyone else go? Oh, they moved on to this and that. And then, like, oh. Yeah, you bring up a really good point about education. That's something that we've also found over time. Just, you know, people come into the space and they expect certain results, but don't understand how certain things work. Um, and so sitting down and having a candid conversation with, you know, the buyer or the representative and explaining to them the process of what they're going to go through and educating them with that is definitely uh, helps when it comes time with uh, invoicing and billing. <laughs> Well, let's, uh, let's kind of move on and talk about um, downloads. I think the whole uh, metrics issue uh, is something that's um, been an ongoing discussion in the podcasting space. There's pretty strong efforts that are going on in the medium right now to come up with standards through the IAB. Um, and and I think that the, the, the industry has been pretty good on stats. I think we're, it's not like we have a problem necessarily, but I think we need to get everybody on the same page because there is some very with some of the newer players to the podcasting space. But if we can talk about that a little bit, about where we are uh, with trying to establish real standards and metrics out there and how that's progressing. I don't know, Rob or Todd? Well, the IAB has a committee for this and, and actually released a, a preliminary document last year, and we have another one that's going to be coming out here in the next month or so. Um, actually, I have a call on Monday about that. And, and there are a bunch of companies. Both our companies are in that. Uh, a lot of other big players in the space are in that. We have an agreement on what is a download. And, and, and for there's lack of a better term, we're calling it a download. And, and you go to a media player on a website, you hit play, that's a download. Technically, it's a progressive download and it comes to the computer. People think of it as a stream, but it, as far as stats go, it's a download. Uh, and, and we have stats about what is considered a real download versus a par, you know, not a full download or uh, that shouldn't be counted. And when you filter out multiple requests from the same IP address user agent. So this is under control. There are a few people that have agendas that like to stir the pot and push their own stuff, uh, but the IAB is who we, as Libsyn, that's the standard we are going to, and the only standard we are going to, uh, to adhere to. I laugh because we've been held to a higher standard than any other 
measurement space. And uh, we actually have some of the absolute best metrics available. Because um, we had to build this from the ground up. Nothing existed to measure podcasts. So over the years, uh, Rob's company, my company, and others have had to really work hard to make sure that we were delivering the right number to the media buyer. Because they're going to come in and spend $100,000 with you. And you don't deliver ROI based upon what they're expecting from traditional ad deals that they have done, they're gonna start questioning your metrics. So we always made sure that uh, the reporting was right. We didn't care what the actual number was as long as we got the number that was the accurate number to report. Um, so I, I think if you're gonna go out and do a media buy though, you should ask the company that you're working with, where are you getting your measurement from? Do you support the IEB standards? Give me your story so that you get a little idea on how they're actually doing that. If they're using one of our companies to do measurement, uh, I think that's important for you to, to get that. And also, uh, you know, cross-validate when you can. But the there are agendas, like Rob said. But we, you know, part of the reason both our companies joined the IEB was to make sure that uh, those agendas that were going on in this space were tampered and that, that we come up with a good standards document. So one of the big players in podcasting is public public media or public radio, and um, they've been able to navigate these waters of um, being on terrestrial as well as podcasting and found great success. Um, guys, do you think that there's anything that broadcast radio can learn from public media, public radio? Yeah, I'll let you get into <laughs> <laughs> Well, public media is, they're great storytellers. And uh, they're professionals. And, and they've had some offshoots that you look at Serial or S-Town and some of that stuff that's been going on. I mean, incredible um, success. So I think from a content space, as a content creator, we need to take the lessons of the production and the, and the storytelling ability and, and transfer that. Um, we have a lot of content creators in the space. The high, the, the high majority of them are... Uh, individuals that are in a bedroom or in their basement and they're creating content. Um, the, the reason these shows are successful is because they're a good storyteller. So I think if the podcasters in the space pay attention to what they've done with their formats, uh, we can up the value of the content over time. Uh, public radio is what public radio right. is. Right. You know, they do great storytelling. Right. Now you have to remember, 30, 350,000 shows are out there. Far less than 1% are the public media stuff. When you take the NPRs, the WNYCs, the BUR, and add all, all those guys up, they're far less than 1% of the shows out there. They are a very small percentage of the podcast. The 99% the plus are the individual podcasters. And most of them don't have big production teams, but there are some big podcasts with one or two people. Lore, huge podcast, one guy. You know, Mark Marin, it's two people. It's Mark doing all the interviews and he's got, a, he's got an editor. Tim Ferriss, same thing. Joe Rogan, pretty much the same thing. So Dan Carlin, same thing. These are teams of two or less that have very big shows. You don't have to have a team like S-Town. You don't have to have 18 people working on a podcast to be successful. And, and the ROI with 18 people on a podcast pretty much sucks. All right, you split that pie 18 ways. You don't want to. How many people want to cut their pizza pie up into 18 slices? Right, not much for you to eat. So, I just want to give you guys a perspective of, of and this probably goes a little bit off topic, but an individual podcaster creating content over time 
having an advertiser can build a sustainable income from that. Uh, but too many content creators today in space, they're, they're instant gratification. They want success immediately. So if we have anybody that's thinking about creating content that are online or in this audience today, it, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And, uh, it, it, but it can build a sustainable income if you work hard at it. So do you think that uh, video has a big place here um, to, to build a show? I think a lot of you know people at the NAB think about video. And I'm just wondering, is video something that you guys think is important to building building a successful show and in building a connection with an audience? I'm going to say absolutely. Um, we teach all of our hosts who create content to leverage video, whether it's um, you know social media videos or YouTube videos or whatever that case may be, to promote themselves, their brand, their podcast uh, in, in every aspect, um, but making sure that they're delivering that video to the proper audience that's going to be consuming uh, their podcast in the first place to uh, create awareness around all that. I would say it depends on why you're creating the video. Are you creating the video just to create video and get buzz? I'm not going to give you much value there. I mean, especially if your show is one where you're going to be editing and re-editing as you go along and you're going to build it over a few hours. Watching me do one of my shows today in iOS where I go and I edit and I, and I keep going back and changing as I work my way through, it takes me an hour to get 20 minutes, 25 minutes of recorded time. That video would be so darn boring. That would hurt my show. Right? And I'm not, I don't have the hairline for, for a video. So you have to make sure the video is going to give value add to your audience. If your show is one that's taking you hours to produce, like a Dan Carlin Hardcore History, there's no value in that. It takes him three weeks to get his whole show together. I will say, though, that um, one thing podcasts lacks is instant gratification or instant feedback from an audience. So doing Facebook Live or YouTube Live, is if you're doing a one-shot show, um, does have the ability for the content creator to get instant feedback from the audience online via social media. So that does add some interactivity for the content creator. But the one thing I always tell podcasters that are audio shows that do video, don't forget that if you're showing something off on video, your audio audience has no clue what you're talking about so you still have to be a good storyteller and don't forget those audio listening audience members that's listening to the majority of your content yeah that's the majority of your audience that's coming from that but let's let's open it up for anybody that has any questions of us too we'll we'll talk about stuff but we want to hear from you too and if you have any questions from us if you're thinking about a podcast or whatever just uh, let us know what your thoughts are Hi, my name is Christina Rath. Thank you guys so much. Um, I wanted to know, do more niche topics and podcasts do better? Is that how you attract a greater audience or maybe one that you can sell easier to sponsors? Well, if you have a real niche podcast on a specific subject, you may make more money than a show that's 20 times the audience size. That other one is more general, a comedy podcast, where maybe you have a podcast about cigars. Right? You can go out and get a humidor su supplier that comes in and sponsors you because you're a psychographic match. So if you could do a psychographic match versus a demographic match, you're going to make a lot more money. I've had CPMs of $1,000 for psychographic. And a neurosurgeon that reached about 2,300 neurosurgeons worldwide, $200,000 a month advertising deal. So, you know, that's... That's niche, but that demands high, high dollars. So, you know, if you really want to make 
you know, a lot of money, go for that that deep niche. But you have to be a thought leader in that space to be able to do that as well. Yeah, you have to be an influencer. You have to really have a following behind you as well. And bring in talented people, too, that are influencers as well. By doing a niche as a podcast, you will become a thought leader over time. If you stay with it, you go for the long game. Just remember this number, 2,000 to 1. That's the number of bloggers to podcasters. 2,001. Females, 7,500 to 1. Female bloggers to female podcasters. So if you get in a niche as a podcaster six months, nine months, 12 months from now, you can become a speaker at events in your niche. You become the thought leader and then your, your money really comes up. But be, as Todd said earlier, long game. Don't look at this as today. What am I going to get for advertising next month, six months? You have to look past a year horizon. I'm a blogger, so. Uh. Are you a podcaster yet? What do you blog about? That's a natural next step. Well, um, I was formerly an entertainment journalist, so I have some of that in there and just celebrity interviews. But it's lifestyle focused in Los Angeles, so restaurants, just events I think are cool, but I think it is too broad, and it's that's kind of been a difficulty for me. So, so any other questions? Anybody else want to jump in and ask about podcasting? While we're uh, okay. waiting for a question to come in, and what, if you're if you are blogging already, you have an, an advantage over someone that's coming in raw, creating content because you already have some sort of an audience. I was in that situation when I started, but I I was actually a pretty bad blogger to be honest with you. So um, one drove the other though. The audience that came in from the blog then it helped me expand quickly. So if you're coming in brand new and you're building a brand for the very first time, um, you're going to have a much tougher go if you haven't already been creating content but again it's the long game so if you uh, if you do have a podcast um and you've been doing it for a while um and I, you know i have a podcast i use it as content marketing but i don't really think anyone's listening <laughs> so do i need to buy media do i have to start buying some media to get the word out there about it i mean i have a fan base but what if i want to expand one thing that I did, because I was a, I did a tech show, and you're here at NAB doing live. I go to CES every year. I take a team to CES, and I cover CES. I don't put that in my regular podcast feed. I put that as extra content, which gets me new eyeballs initially, which then become what I like to call earballs, which is kind of weird. But um, So one feeds the other. So I go to these extra events to get extra exposure to bring audiences back to the primary show. I actually use the blog to get people into the show as well so it's a multi-targeted yeah the power of google right that's right well, by you topics know, apple just started allowing app developers to advertise in placement in itunes so if you get a you get an app for your podcast you can actually pay to get placement in itunes for the first time but let's not lose sight of the of the ball here podcasting is a word of mouth marketing yeah. medium so if you're doing a podcast the big thing that you can inspire is people to share people to tell others about your show um, but getting in front of real people is the best is a really good strategy that's worked for all these guys yeah, we follow the same thing. Um, we're here doing the live event uh, for exactly the same reason. We leverage the live events to create exposure for all of our other clients and hosts that are on the network. And, uh, you know, so mirroring that, absolutely. That's actually like a super duper trade secret that uh, if you replicate that, you'll it's it's a key to my show success. And one of the great things, too, is if you have a podcast and you're in, in your niche, interview all the influential bloggers in your niche. 
and, and then oh. edit those interviews to make them sound good. If they come on and they go, um, uh, you know, edit it out, make them sound brilliant, and then they'll actually promote it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you had a question. Yes, so um, my question was, I mean, you guys are all pioneers in this, more or less, and have there been discoveries you've made as you've, as you've gone along that have been counterintuitive? Like, I mean, it's, one can understand that this is a marathon and not a sprint, uh, but has there been things that have been counterintuitive, discoveries that you've made? It's kind of a general question, but it's sort of interesting. Well, one comes to mind right now, and that's this factor of duration. How long should your podcast be, right? There's a lot of perception, especially coming out of the kind of the radio side, where radio's been very kind of short-segmented between commercial breaks, right? And um, there's just been a lot of information about shorter is better, right? It comes out of the YouTube generation, too. Five minutes or less, right? In the podcasting space, it's contrary. And these guys, will, these guys are passionate about this because we see the stats. We see what people are actually tuning into. And it's longer form content in this medium. So just because you put together a 20-minute podcast doesn't mean it's automatically going to be more popular than a two-hour podcast. So when do you guys want to jump in on this? There's a lot of great short shows, but there's a lot that's more great long shows. So that's the, you know, it's, it, it, it actually sounds like why would someone spend three hours with a specific show when they could listen to five 30-minute shows? You know, it, it doesn't make any sense, but, you know, the, the show that I follow the most, it's a three-hour show amongst all the other thing I sample. So... I mean, we ran numbers in January episodes that were released in the month of January, measured at the end of February, average 45 days, looked at all the episodes that were over 100,000 downloads. Of that, those shows, 84% were 51 minutes or longer, 9.9% were 30 minutes or shorter, 12.2% were two hours or longer. There was more shows two hours or longer than there were 30 minutes or shorter in the top. Why? People are lazy. They like to hit play on their smartphone and listen to the show and they don't want to search for another episode and they find good content that's longer. They don't have to go flipping around. I, I listen to some shows that are shorter, like Mac OS Ken is one I listen to. I listen to his, his daily show. He does it five days a week, once a week. I go back to Monday and I hit play and then I listen to it all the way through those five episodes and I do that on a Saturday. I would just rather have him do it once a week and I wouldn't have to do all the five episodes and have to hear the intro five times during the week and the outro five times during the week. I'd only have to hear it once or once intro, one outro. Yeah. I got you. Let's say you can start and resume. You can stop. You can resume at a later time. I, I think that's what happens. I, I, the stats that we're seeing of people listening to just short podcasts is, is a total anomaly because people are stopping and they're starting, restarting all the time. And people are going to listen as long as they have time to listen. So, yeah. So you have a question? Just to follow up on that, uh, one of the gaps in podcasts is the accuracy in, of the analytics and so I feel like it's, it's hard to know if someone listens all the way through your hour of content so I was fascinated to hear your stats that shows that are recorded longer have a bigger audience but do we have any insight into whether the last 10 minutes of those shows are getting listened to or not? 
my company has an enterprise product that we provide to large media companies. And we don't tell them the percentage of stream. We tell them the percentage of download. So what we see in the metrics is we automatically know that when a show is released and someone is subscribed, almost immediately the podcatchers, the iTunes, the Google Plays, those people are subscribed almost get those shows immediately. Within 24 hours, all the subscribers have downloaded. Then, so what becomes important to us is we watch what happens to those folks that are after 24 hours that are probably pressing play. And what we see is a very, very high percentage where they get to the 80, 90% level of that actual delivery of that file. And also there's factors about delivery, but iTunes has set rules because iTunes is king with about 80... 80% of the marketplace. If you stop listening on iTunes within about five or so episodes, they stop automatically downloading. So from a trending line standpoint, we can look at a show over three months and we can tell where an audience pretty much is on an average. Every show is going to have spikes and you know they're going to go up and down. But um, the stats are going to be as accurate as anything in the space. And we have some shows that will only do a pre and a post. And the pre is today's episode's brought to you by, and the post is the actual ad read. So two of those, Tim Ferriss and, and, and Dan Carlin, do only the ad reads at the end. Dan Carlin does it at the end of his five-plus-hour episode, and he gets ROI. And it's a it's a custom URL, and people are going to that, and they're buying based on that. Same with Tim Ferriss; his episodes are well over an hour long, so we know they're going there because the only place they add is at the end. You know, so yeah, we have it from that point of view, measuring the ROI on those shows where the ad reads are at the end. Yeah, we we track every access point for all of the content, and um, we're able to look at average listening time over the course of any time uh, we host all of our own content. And so, because we host all of our own content, we have a deep dive into raw log files from everything coming off the CDN, uh, and have the ability to track every every metric that comes to us back from the CDN. People will listen to as long as they are, have time to listen to, and that's that's the, always the, the key thing to, to think about this. And But it's amazing. I mean, I, I was back in Spain about a year and a half ago, and I heard of a, a, a podcast back there that was uh, 8 to 10 hours long, one episode. And people are listening to that while they're working in uh, repetitive jobs. Um, so... There really is no standard or definition of what a proper podcast length is. So you create the length based on what the content is that you're producing. And really, a, a podcast is about you. I mean, the host. The audience is important, but for you to sustain that podcast, it's got to be something that's driven from your heart and from your passion. Guys, why don't you talk about that? I mean, how important is passion to this medium? The most important if I wasn't having fun doing the show, I'd quit. The money's great, but the the fun doing the show is the biggest part of it. And it's almost some people do show uh, shows for therapy. You know, it's kind of crazy, but they it's some almost like self therapy. Therapy too. Yeah. Right? Yeah, do you know how many cool people we get to meet because we interview other people for a living? I mean, it's 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 amazing. The thought leadership in the space from all niche genres is absolutely amazing. 
podcasting is a lot of work. That's why there's a 2,000 to 1 ratio of bloggers to podcasters. If it was as easy, there'd be you know as many blog podcasters as our bloggers. So it takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. Don't, you know, don't ever mistake that this is an easy medium to do. You have to do on a subject that you're passionate about or you will burn out. You will burn out quick. You know, we call it pod fading. You won't hit episode 10. Uh, you know, a lot of times we won't even look at shows for ad campaigns until they've gotten a few in because we're not sure they're going to make it. Uh, so don't chase a hot topic. Oh, this one's hot. There's a bunch of shows that are on true crime. I'm going to go ahead and do a true crime podcast. And, and, and I go, really? Um, so did you like Quincy better or, you know, this? And like, what's Quincy? Never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, probably true crime is not your genre. <laughs> So in the last uh, few minutes that we have, let's, let's talk about just generally how to start a podcast. What do you need to think about at the beginning of creating a podcast? So you're set up for success. Todd, did you want to start? I, I, it's simple. If you, whatever you have a passion about, think about if you want to create content around that passion. Do I have two years of content to get this thing off the ground and grow it? Uh, do I have the backing of my family if you're doing it on family time? And if all those things kind of fall into place, then make a plan and, and do a show. And and your show's going to change over time. You're, you know, episode 50 is going to sound completely different than episode one because, number one, most people have never picked up a mic before. So the key is, is just to, uh, to go and create content and learn as you go. You know, I'll, I'll say this. If you want to know what to do a podcast about, what are you listening to? What podcast are you listening to? If there's a podcast you can't miss and it's on a certain subject, that's a good subject for you to do. And don't feel bad about doing a subject for a podcast you already listened to. I, I give this example. How many people have heard of I Dream a Genie or, or the Munsters? Well, you know what I Dream a Genie and the Munsters are? Bewitched and Adam's Family. It's the same same show. They just rewrote it. Just different characters. You're going to be a different character. You're going to bring your own personality to that show. It will be different than the show you like. Whether you, Even if you tried to be the same, it will be different. So don't feel bad about copying a show you already like. 350,000 podcasts sounds like a lot. It's minuscule to the 400 million blogs. Right? We have room for more podcasts. Plus, a big percentage of those podcasts are not even active. So about half of them are not being acti actively updated with new episodes. So keep that in mind. The, the competitive landscape is still wide open. There's still genres out there that are not being met yet. Now, I'll put a caveat in there before Todd does. We don't need any more entrepreneur interview shows. <laughs> it's saturated. That one is, that's covered. It's done. You can put a stake in it. Move on. But, but Rob, the honest truth is, is we're all podcast hosts here. Um, you can create whatever show you want to. We're more than happy to take your hosting account. Yeah, just all about passion and making sure that you're following and being passionate about the content that you're creating because uh, being passionate about the content will lead to good content creation and it will also lead to um, genuality for your audience to you know stay connected with you. Uh, if you don't have that passion, then why would the audience have take the time to listen? And if you're an advertiser and you're getting ready to spend money in the space, uh, do not discard the shows that are not necessarily the top 200 of iTunes. 
there's thousands of shows out there that have great audiences that have dedicated followings that will deliver fantastic ROI. In the early days, there was only small shows. And then when the big shows came on, the media buyers moved the money to the big shows. Meanwhile, all these small shows that are out there with uh, two, three, four, five thousand audience members, uh, they are looking for advertising revenue as well. Bring your dollars to the table. We will deliver ROI to you that you'll be like, how big of a check can I write next month? And top 200 in iTunes does not mean the top 200 biggest shows. It's the top 200 shows that have the most new subscribers in the last seven days. So there are many shows in iTunes in the top 200 that have audience sizes of 1,500. And there's other shows that have 100,000 downloads per episode that aren't in the top 200 and haven't been for years. They have their audiences, but they're just not getting new subscribers through iTunes. They haven't get them other ways. So any other questions? Anybody has in the last, I guess, the last couple of minutes? Well, thank you so much, guys. Thanks, Todd, Rob, and Ryan. Talking about podcasting, we appreciate you for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Rob. Rob Greenlay, ladies and gentlemen, from Speaker. Let's have another big hand for our panel. And we're wrapping up here today at the Advanced Advertising Pavilion. And if you're interested in listening to this session again and listening to it as a podcast, come on over to Jeremy and give him your business card. We'll have this also uh, live archived on Facebook. And uh, also we're having a cocktail party here at the Advanced Advertising Pavilion in about 15, 20 minutes. So come on by 4 o'clock and have some cocktails with your advertising. See how I did that? All right. Thanks, ladies and gentlemen. Bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com